Welcome to Common Ground Church, Rwandabosh, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's Spirit. Every now and again, we pause our series to hear from our pastors on what God is pressing on them in this current moment. Please continue listening for today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you again. It's a real joy. Let me tell you a secret to longevity. Keep breathing. (laughs) We're going to look at the story of Caleb. So we find Caleb in Numbers and uh, chapter 13. I'm going to read a few passages scattered around a little to get the feel of this guy. He is... uh, Extraordinary man of faith against the backdrop of, sadly, unbelief that characterised the rest of the 12 uh, tribes, uh, uh, spies that were sent into the land to go and see what, what's the land like. We've come to it. We've had this journey. God's promised it to us. Here we go. Just go and have a look. Have a look. Come and tell us. And tragically, 10 guys come out and say, hey, we can't do this. We can't do this. But Caleb says, yes, we can. We can. Not only does he say we can, he ultimately goes in. So he is a great hero of faith in the Bible. And I think most of us who are believers and maybe some who are not yet believers long for faith. We long for more faith. We, we know faith is such a key. We know without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we see Jesus with his 12, spending three years with them. And it seems to me more often he's calling them to believe, to have faith, than he is actually into moral issues. He said, come on, trust me, believe me. I want you to trust me. It's such a big part of being a Christian. This is the victory that overcomes so many things. Our faith. This is the victory that overcomes our confidence in God. So can we learn some secrets from Caleb, this great hero of faith in our Bible. So we're going to read, first of all, from Numbers 13, where it says in verse 17, when Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? How are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. Then they go and come back. Verse 27, thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us. It certainly does flow. With milk and honey, this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites are living in the hill country. The Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, said we should by all means go up, take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against this people, 
for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they'd spied out, saying, the land through which we've gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. Also we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, sons part of the Nephilim. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in theirs. And all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. The people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would that we died in the land of Egypt. Would that we died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader to return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us in to this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And just one or two verses in Joshua chapter 14, which comes some 40 years later. Verse six. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and said to him, you know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with, the, with me made the heart of this people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I'm 85 years old today. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war, for going out, for coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke to me on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakit were there, fortified cities, Perhaps the Lord will be with me. I'll drive out as the Lord has spoken. Father, thank you for your living word. Thank you for its vitality. Thank you for the secrets it tells us. And Father, we just want to tune in with you. Holy Spirit, you who inspired these words to be written, we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit, rest upon 
your people right now. Tune us in. Help us to hear your voice. Come, Holy Spirit, win battles in our hearts as we hear your word together. Glorify God. Magnify your name. Be our teacher, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Bible's full of uh, heroes. Maybe you, maybe you have a hero. Maybe those that, uh, when you hear that name, something lights up in your heart. I know Gideon's a great hero of mine. So maybe David, maybe Moses. Uh, how about uh, Shaphat, son of Hori? Anybody? That your favourite character? Shaphat? Any, who's here cheering for Shaphat? Yeah, let's hear Shaphat. Or maybe Egal, uh, son of Joseph. Nobody? Not your heroes? How come? I mean, there was a day when those two guys were remarkable heroes because they were selected from their whole tribe. Each tribe selected one guy. I mean, there's thousands in the tribe. Thousands. And one guy. And Egal was one of those. Shaphat was one of those. And I guess uh, their wives said, wow, my man, he's the chosen guy. Their children said, wow, my father. And these guys, yeah, they represented their tribe. There were 12 of them. And they all walked into the land to spy it out. But uh, you and I have never heard of those guys. We've never heard of Egal. We've never heard of Shaphat. Why? They brought back a bad report. They came back and said, we can't do it. And the Bible doesn't celebrate unbelief. You don't hear about these guys. You hear about men of faith and women of faith because faith is such a vital key. And God wants us to learn. And so I see in Caleb, one of these great heroes who believed against the backdrop of, yes, walled cities, giants in the land, 10 other spies who said, we can't do it. The majority said, we can't. Come on, let's face the reality. We've all seen the same thing. Come on, you two. We've seen it. We can't do it. The majority saying we can't. Caleb says we can. That's some unusual faith. They try to stone them with stones. He still said we can. That's unusual faith. He still kept believing some 40 years later. He's still got faith. So this guy's got surely things to teach us. I want to learn about faith. I learn, I see people of faith. I read books, great books of people who've done things. I think faith was such a key. I want to learn. I hope you want to learn. What, what are the keys? What are the distinctives in this man that made him different to the 10 who said we can't? Now we know a lot about Joshua, but I want to focus on Caleb. He's the one in our focus this morning. Caleb said we can do this thing. And I, I was looking in the Bible, I thought, show me, Lord, show me what was distinctive about Caleb. What were the features that we see in this man that were different to the others? And I was quite surprised. The first thing I noticed was he was a humble man. He was a man of humility. I wasn't looking for that. I didn't expect to find that, but there it is. He's a man of humility. How do I know that? Well, it's interesting. When the nation was more and more just unimpressed by Moses, this man Moses, uh, and even his sister Miriam, you'll find she and Aaron, even they turn against Moses, they speak against him, they, they say, has the Lord spoken only through you? 
Hasn't the Lord spoken through us as well? So, hey, there were other voices. You find the sons of Korah in Numbers 16. They say, all the congregation are holy. Why do you exalt yourself above the people of the Lord? Who do you think you are, Moses? So that was the atmosphere. That was the attitude. And Caleb, we read in Joshua just now, he said, Moses, the man of God. Moses, the servant of the Lord. That's how Caleb viewed him. He's the man of God. He's the servant of the Lord. Quite in contrast to many who say, ah, who does he think he is? We're all holy. We're kind of democratic here. Who does he think he is? Well, who he is is the one that God spoke to. God said, I speak to prophets in all kinds of ways through visions. Moses, I speak face to face. This is a massively privileged man that God had rescued as a child, looked over, trained, taken him through all sorts of hardships. He is the Lord's anointed. He's the Lord's servant. And this guy, these guys will find it very easy to be dismissive of the Lord's servants. That's a mark, not of humility at all. But it, to be honest, it's very characteristic of our age, our kind of democratic age. Who does he think he is? But that, you see, beloved, we're not in a democracy. We're in the kingdom of God. It's another order. Our citizenship is from heaven. It's different. It's a different citizenship. And the Bible says this, he ascended on high, Jesus, and gave gifts to men. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. God himself gives gifts to people. That's why we take seriously eldership appointments. We're not saying, oh, this guy will do. Let's have a vote. No, no, we're saying we see the hand of God. We feel the hand of God. We honour Godly leadership, given people anointed. A church led by anointed leadership is a blessed church. A church that leads by democracy, I don't think, I don't think, that leaves it all with us and gives us great opportunity to be very arrogant. The mark of Caleb was, he wasn't arrogant. He's the servant of the Lord. And so he had a very respectful attitude. He said, must have been a pushover then. He's a guy without a think. I, I think differently. Caleb, obviously a weak man. Uh, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. He's the guy who said, we can take it. When he's 85, he says, let me have it. <laughs> this is not a weak, this is not a pushover man. This is not a man without thought. It's not a man, well, he doesn't he let other people think for him. No, no, beloved, that's just not biblical. It's not the way it's to be. We should honour leadership. Caleb was a humble man. You'll find the same with David. David, the Lord, the man after God's own heart. Such a warrior that he wanted to build a temple and God said, no, you can't, you are not gonna build a temple for me, David. You've got too much blood on your sword. This is a warrior. But there comes when he's being trained and tried and going through that difficult season when Saul has turned against him and Saul has become actually kind of demonised and coming against David. And there comes a moment where Saul is sleeping in a cave and David stumbles on him. And Saul's trying to kill him. He's pursuing David in the wilderness and here in this cave, here we are, his Saul. And David's friends say to him, kill him. Come on, God, God has given him into your hand. See, bring God into it. God is bringing, God's done this thing, kill him. And David won't even do it. He was, I'm not gonna kill the Lord's anointed. It's the Lord's anointed. Beloved, God loves that attitude. And actually, you know, remember the story, some of you know your Bibles well, he cuts off some of his cloak. 
And he goes across the other side of the hill. He shouts out, hey, I could have killed you. Then he said this, he was smitten in his heart that he'd uncovered him a bit. Do you get smitten in your heart when you uncover someone a bit? Well, he's all right, but. Caleb didn't have that heart. Caleb had a humble heart. So faith found in a humble heart. I was surprised to find that's the first thing I found looking. What were, the, what were Caleb's secrets? Humility was the first thing I noticed. And I thought, I wonder if that stands up in the Bible. Is that, is that consistent? Because that's the way to get truth from the Bible, isn't it? What does it consistently say? And so I looked in the gospel stories and you get this wonderful thing where he's coming, uh, Jesus is uh, involved and Jesus is in, in, invited to someone's house and, and, and the word is, don't come to my house, I am not worthy that you come into my home. And Jesus says this, I have not found such faith anywhere. Don't come to my house, I'm not worthy. I've not found such faith. How interesting. He didn't say, I've not found such humility. He said, I've not found such faith. They go together, beloved. They go together. And then the woman, you remember the story? Jesus is healing people. Okay, imagine going down the line. Say we were praying for the sick here tonight or this morning. God bless you, God bless you. And you come to this lady, uh, it's not for the pigs. Uh, not for the dogs. It's not for the dogs. I think she was, not for the dogs. How dare you speak to me like that? But she doesn't. She says, but even the dogs pick up the crumbs that fall. And Jesus replied to her, oh, woman, your faith is great. Isn't that interesting? Your faith is great. Not your humility is great. It's not nice to be called a dog. But even the dogs get the crumbs. Your faith. Oh, these things go hand in hand, beloved. Caleb was a man of extraordinary faith. He's also a man of genuine humility. And sometimes we wouldn't speak against God, but we'd happily speak against other people. And that's, that's not humility. So here's one of the secrets. How was this man so strong in faith? Well, one thing about him, he was humble. Can that be said of you? Or are you somewhat opinionated? I'm opinionated. I have my own opinion. Have you got strong faith? No, I wish I had. Well, let's learn that lesson. Maybe we shouldn't be so opinionated. Maybe we should be saying, Lord, help me to hear Caleb was like that. The second thing I noticed about him in the story is that he was wholehearted. Numbers 14, 24, he has followed me wholeheartedly. That's God's assessment. Faith grows in wholeheartedness. It needs, if you like, good soil to grow in. Remember Jesus told the parable, we call it the parable of the sower, we might call it the parable of the soils, different soils. And so it says some seed fell on the pathway. It doesn't even penetrate. It just lies on the surface. The birds come and take it away. It's that kind of, how long is this preacher going on for? No, it just lies on the surface. Not really interested. It's just, well, he's, how long is this meeting over soon? It, it just, the, the seed is living. But it doesn't even get through. Then, then, then Jesus said there are those who have soil, but it's, it's got rocks underneath it. So the soil's quite shallow. And they hear it excitedly. Wow, 
That's a wonderful word, yes. And the word immediate appears. Immediately take that word. Yes, please. And then it says the sun shines on it and the word immediately appears again. Immediately they say, no, thank you. Because faith has battles to fight. There are setbacks. The sun does shine. It's not if the sun shines, the sun shines. Even in England sometimes, like the sun. <laughs> and so, yeah, challenges come to faith. And the Bible talks about faith and perseverance. We tend to think of faith as now. I claim it now. Well, there is that kind of faith, but there's also the faith and patience. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. And some seed falls one. If it's going to cost me that much, forget it. The heat came. And then Jesus said there are some seeds that fall upon, among the weeds, thorns, and they choke it. It's got life, but it says it doesn't grow to maturity. Some of these phrases in these parables are very interesting. It got faith, but it doesn't grow to maturity. Why? Well, there's weeds growing there as well. And when it sees the, you see the description of the weeds, it does not say foul iniquity. It says other things. Other things. Why doesn't my faith grow? Well, Maybe you've got a lot of fires, a lot of pokers in the fire. You think, oh, I'm this and this and this. And what about? And I've got to do that and my career and this choice. And would you go, but I can't. And so other things, that's all it says. Other things choke. So you've got a living word. And other things choke. Then there's the good soil, which is there. It says the words accepted received, understood. Interesting to see the words in the parable. Understood, received with perseverance. Bears much fruit. Because the seed is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. It's got all terrific might in it. But the way we receive it. And Caleb had this testimony, wholehearted. Faith will grow in wholeheartedness. It says in James, the double-minded man shall receive nothing from the Lord. The double-minded man, we don't receive. He needs focus. Caleb said, no, no, we can do this thing. He was focused. He didn't have other things growing. He was wholehearted. That's God's assessment of him. God says, he followed me wholeheartedly. Wouldn't you like that from God? You followed me wholeheartedly. Oh, God, help me. And we put to death other stuff. It's past things, irrelevant. Having the Word of God is so important. The third thing I notice about Caleb is that he, he lives in the context of God's purpose. He's full of confidence. God wants us in that land. So he doesn't privatise his faith, if I can use that phrase. It's not like, I'm not sure I can do it. He's, he's in the bigger world. God's got a plan. God's got a plan to take them in. In fact, it says in this context, if we read the whole passage, God says this, as surely as I live, somebody said, what comes next is going to happen. When God says, as surely as I live, and the next thing he says is, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, all the earth being filled, the next step at this time was to get into the land. The land was relevant in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Barnabas the Apostle, he had land, he sold it and went on world mission. That's the New Testament perspective on the land. 
But in the Old Testament, it was the next step. It was the next step to all the earth being filled with his glory. And when they said, no, we can't do it. I can't do it. You see, that's what we tend to feel. I can't do it. And it says, we're like grasshoppers. That was their testimony. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in the eyes of them. That's what they thought. We're like grasshoppers. I mean, look at the walled cities and there's giants in there. I mean, I'm just like a grasshopper. That's how I felt. That's how they saw us. That's not true. If you come to Joshua, 40 years later, when they do enter the land, 40 long years later, they go in and the first person they meet is Rahab. And, and she says, oh, you've come. She says, we've been trembling ever since we heard you cross the Red Sea. We heard about, we heard about the Red Sea opened up to you. We've heard about the glory cloud. You're coming to us, we're terrified. They were scared stiff they're coming. And these spies said, oh no, they see us grasshoppers. They were wrong. Their assessment was wrong. Caleb got it right. And Caleb didn't privatise the thing. He said, I'm not sure if I can. No, God wants us in the land. See, beloved, to be part of, I love that word we heard recently in the meeting, not just a buffet, it's a banquet. That's a beautiful word. Church is not a buffet. You come to belong, you come to sit and eat and feel part of. And to be part of a church that's got a big vision. To be part of a church that's known. We're not just here to build something. We're, yeah, thank you for your offerings. It's helped us bring some of the pastors who came together yesterday who couldn't have afforded it. They come from Malawi. They came from other places. We helped them. Of course we did. We're about a big work. God wants to fill the earth with his glory. And so, yeah, what we do, yes, it's, it's important. But the bigger vision helps your faith grow. And so it's a huge privilege to be part of a church that's got a big vision and understands we're not just here for me and my kids. They said we'll be swallowed up and our kids. What about us and our family? We better not go in. Caleb went in and his daughter got the faith that he had. Took his family with him in faith. See, beloved, we make choices sometimes. We privatise the thing. Well, what about me? Caleb grew in faith because he knows it's God's kingdom. It's God's purpose. He wants to glorify his son throughout the earth. He said to Abraham, through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's the greatest thing happening on planet earth today. The church of God is growing, 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 growing. Yeah, often against terrific hardship and difficulties and setbacks. Wendy and I were in uh, India back in November. I remember it was one church we were working with in Mumbai, Living Word, and it got healthy and strong. They planted up Living Light, Living Hope. We went back this time to 400 churches in India. Grown, grown. Because against the backdrop, it's illegal to change your religion. It's a Hindu nation. They're growing. God's about a great work. God's about a great work. And, and so don't privatise, don't say, no, it's just me and my little world. No, we're part of something God is doing. And God wants you at the table. God wants you at the table. Not just buffet eating. Or pop in. I, I pop into common ground sometimes. No, 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 join. You'll find love and fellowship and harmony. Sense of corporate purpose. Something to live for. It's not we've got, well, I live for my job and I've got a little bit of religion. No, live for the kingdom. 
It's a big thing. That's what Caleb was clear about issues. So his faith didn't talk because he know, knows it's a bigger thing than my victory against the giant. You may say, but I've got giants. Yeah, I know what it's like. We do have personal giants, but we see them in the backdrop of God's great purpose. We'll come on to that a little later. No, believing the bigger picture, understanding. Understanding God is concerned with this. If we look at the whole passage, we see this. God says, how long will these people despise me? I can imagine the 10 spies. When God says, how long will you despise me? When they said, we can't go in. I'm sure they would have said, no, 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 no. We're not despising you, Lord. It's the giants. It's the walled cities. I mean, that's a problem. Now, God, God's interpretation of that, he takes unbelief personally. How long will you despise me? I said, we're going into the land. So allow yourself to be challenged by that. God takes that unbelief personally. How long are you going to despise me when I have said I'm enough for you? But I've got such a low self-image. Hey, I'm enough for you. I've got this problem with pornography. I can't overcome it. I'm enough for you. I've got these giants. They're too big for me. I am enough for you. How long will you despise me? That's the one we want. Lord, come on, help me, Lord. So we see these characteristics. The next thing I noticed, the fourth one, he got it into his heart. I love that. He read it in Joshua. He said, I came back. I told Moses what I got in my heart. That's where faith grows. It's in your heart. It's not just a little bit of information. It comes into our heart. And it does stuff to us. We had that lovely testimony a moment ago about the, the brother whose church I was in last week. Robust church away, a young Christian, suddenly, woof, it's in my heart. Suddenly God's taken over my heart, put a dream in my heart. Faith grows when you get it in your heart, it's not just in your head. Oh, it's interesting, I know my Bible, I've read it a lot. It has to go into our hearts. And I told Moses what was in my heart. That's what Caleb says, this wonderful man of faith. In his heart. I love the story of many of Bible characters, but Nehemiah is a great hero of mine. I love the story of Nehemiah. It says that Nehemiah was in Babylon. He got a good job. He's a cupbearer to the king. He's away from the land, but he's enjoying life. And then he hears news. Jerusalem's in chaos. The walls are down. Gates are open. Anyone can walk in and out. It's lost its distinctiveness. And he knows, he knows what the Psalms say, Zion, the joy of the whole earth. Look what's happened to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah 1 is a magnificent chapter. He hears the news and he's overwhelmed with it. And he mourned and fasted. And I, and I love it. It's, it's almost like I used to go to the theatre a lot and at the end of the scene or the end of the act, the curtain comes down. And you wonder what will happen when the curtain goes up again. And that's uh, one of the joys of theatre going. And I always feel that Nehemiah 1, it says, he heard the news and he overwhelmed by the news. Jerusalem is in chaos. And, and he mourned and fasted. When the curtain goes up again, you meet this character. He's like another man. He says, let me go back. I will rebuild it. You think, you will? How are you going to do that? Blessed are they that mourn they shall be comforted. Well, 
fortified is a better word. The word comfort, the English word comfort, is made up of two Latin words, cum with fortis, strength. And gradually over the years, it's kind of changed its meaning. The word comfort has lost its meaning. Comfort now means cushions. <laughs> Are you comfortable? Would you like another cushion? Are you comfortable? And that has affected our thinking about the comforter a bit. You know, the Holy Spirit who kind of gives you a lovely cushion. No, not really. You're probably better to call the comforter the fortifier. Because fortify hasn't lost its meaning. Fortify has somehow retained that meaning. It means to add strength. They come alongside with strength. Not cushions, strength. And you find Nehemiah weeps and, and, and mourns and he comes out, Phew, what a strong guy. And it's like nothing will stop him. An amazing thing, because the Holy Spirit has come to him. His strength and his anointing is empowered. He becomes almost like another man. The Spirit coming on him, fortifying him. And then he goes to Jerusalem. And I love what it says, he goes there. He gets permission to go. And he says things like this, let me go, I will rebuild it. You think, you will rebuild it? Do you know, church history is affected by individuals like that. Like Jackie Pullinger, who went to Hong Kong. They said, you can't go. She went. Hundreds got saved. God put it in her heart. God put it in her heart. Hudson Taylor, I love the story of Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary, he went to China. But all the, all the missionaries in China were on the coast. And if you go to, if you go to uh, the coast of China, to Shanghai, one side, it looks, like, it looks like Regent Street, London. It's just made, you know, English were there in strength in China at that time. And the missionaries were all there on the coast. No one had gone inland. No one had gone inland. And in his mid-twenties, he came home to England. And he's on Brighton Beach. Well, that, I mean, I come from Brighton, so I love this. He's on Brighton Beach. He's in a meeting, first of all. He's in a church. I've often wondered where that church is. He said hundreds of people were worshipping. He couldn't bear it. He left. He walked up and down the beach. Do I have faith to go inland? No one was going inland. And walking up and down on Brighton Beach, he found faith. God put it in his heart. I'm going inland. And the China Inland Mission was born in one man's heart. Next day, he went to London, opened a bank account, put five pounds in it, China Inland Mission. On the back of that, thousands of missionaries went into China. Thousands. It's, it turns like a Nehemiah. I'm going to rebuild it. Well, of course he didn't rebuild it on his own. Loads of people built. But it was in his heart. Faith turns. God's looking for men and women. Will you believe me? Will you believe me? I can change history. God changes history. He puts something in your heart. Caleb said, give me it. It's in my heart. Faith comes in the heart. It does stuff to you. Affects you and that affects other people. So it says, Nehemiah went up to the city and rode around on his donkey, whatever it was. And he said, I had not yet told them what was in my heart. He sure did tell them and I got the city rebuilt. It's in his heart. Faith grows there. Keep your heart. Don't allow other stuff. If you, well, I'd love to be a man of faith. I'd love to be a woman of faith. Well, there are things we can learn from Caleb. We can grow in faith. 
I'd love to grow in faith. Here are some principles. He got it in his heart. It's like David got it in his heart to build a temple for God. It was in my heart to do it. God didn't allow him to because the blood on his sword. But you read the story, how David said to Solomon, it's all there, all, all that you need. The timber, the gold, the silver, it's all I've prepared. It was in his heart. Another thing I see in the story of Caleb, he knew about God's delight in his people. Now, this is a key to faith. Numbers 14.8, if the Lord delights in us, he'll give us the land. So some of us find faith difficult because we don't know God delights in us. But we sing it. We, 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 we're kind of supposed to believe it, but we don't know it. And God wants us to know it. Because when you know God delights in you, faith is much easier. When you feel, no, no, God's for me. God's for me. And Psalmist said this, this I know, God is for me. wonder if we could all, I'm not asking you to, but if we could all shout out and put our hand up, this I know, God is for me. But you see, you've got an enemy. It's called Satan, which means the accuser. Satan means accuser. And we're told in the book of Revelation that he accuses us day and night. I don't read there's anything else he does day and night. His main weapon is accusation. You call yourself a Christian, you're hopeless. Is that all you do when you pray? Is that you call that prayer? You're useless. You don't know the Bible. He just bombards you with, if you take that on board, if you receive all this accusation and, refuse, and don't refuse it, the Bible says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the helm of the salvation. Put on the word of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Fight the good fight of faith. And no, no, God delights in me. Celebrate it, sing it. You'll find me singing every morning. Thank you, you delight in me. Thank you, you delight in me. That's what the Bible says. When you pray, don't start with, oh God, I'm such a sinner. Some people say, when you pray, start with confession. Don't do it. Oh, it sounds good, you clean the decks. No, you don't. You remind yourself of sin. Lord, I'm such a sinner. Then Satan comes along and says, you say, I'm so sorry about this. And he'll say, and what about this as well? Oh yeah, and that. <laughs> so people hate prayer. They hate prayer. Oh God, I'm such a terrible person. And you dig a hole for yourself and jump in, keep digging. And if you get back to ground level, you think, oh, I had a good time. But we, so to, become, to have your relationship with God sin-centered is so unbiblical unhelpful. We come to, when Jesus was told, ask, how do we pray? Say, Father, hallowed be your name. You can come later to and forgive us our trespasses, but come Father, Son related. He delights in me. See, beloved, if you know God delights in you, isn't it a bit easier to believe? If you question, there's a shadow over my soul. I don't know if God really likes me. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. And refuse that. Because knowing, is, it doesn't come out of the air. It comes from Satan, who wants to tell you how awful you are. And God says, you're righteous in my sight. God says, there's no condemnation because of the victory of Jesus we've been singing about. Not because I'm special, God knows. But because the blood of Christ cleanses me. It makes me all right. It makes me God delight in what he's won. God has won us for himself. And so he says, if the Lord delights in us, <laughs> we're going to win. 
It's such an important thing to understand the grace of God. If the Lord delights in us, well, of course, He's for us. We often pray, I don't know if God will answer my prayers, I'm not sure He likes me. If the Lord delights in us, He brought us into this place, He rescued us, said Psalm 18, 19, because He delights in us. Good news, eh? Faith, He delights in us, He delights in us. And then the last thing, give me this mountain, I'm going for it. See, it does take action. It's not like, oh, well, the Lord will do it then. Hallelujah. God will give us the land. No, you've got to go and fight. But you fight with all these things in place. I love the story of Joshua. Well, at one point, God says to Joshua, I've given you this land. Joshua 10, verses 8 and 9. We don't have time to look there. God says, I've given you. This battle is yours. I've given it to you. Now, if I was, if I was Joshua, I'd say, well, okay, guys, let's have a party. We'll go up there tomorrow. It says, when God said to him, it's okay, it's yours. It's like, I've done it. Joshua, it says, travel all night and attack them early. Wow, that's great. It's not like, well, if you have faith, you don't have to do. No, give me this mountain. So Caleb saying, I'm as strong now as I was when I was 40. Come on, let's go, let's go. God's with me. It doesn't make us passive. It doesn't say, oh, well, God will do it. No, you go and fight. We go and fight knowing that God will be for us. Give me this mountain. It's my inheritance. God promised me it. I love that stuff. God promises. Lots of us have got Bible verses underlined. Promises that God gave you. In 40 years, no, no, no. God promised me. Faith and patience. Can I encourage you? If you're about to abandon, oh, I used to believe. Maybe you've come into church this morning and you thought, well, I'll go along. Oh, come on, God's giving you promises. He's inviting you to trust him. Have the inheritance he has for you. Through our God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our enemies. Caleb won that battle. Let me just turn our focus as I close to the real hero, the real hero, Jesus. As I came back to all these categories I saw in him, in Caleb, I thought, oh, look at that. Humble. Jesus said, learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your soul. No one was humble like Jesus. Amazing, amazing humility. Wholehearted? Yeah. The disciples came to Jesus and said, you're talking to this woman at the well. Have you had anything to eat? He said, I have meat to eat you know nothing about. My meat is to do the will of him who sent me. Talk about wholehearted. Jesus was wholehearted. Jesus understood God's purpose. Obviously, it's the will of God I do these things. Jesus got things in his heart. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Got it in his heart. I'm gonna have a bride from every tribe, every tongue. It's gonna cause my death, but I've got it in my heart. Delight, yeah, of course. This is my beloved son when he's baptized at the transfiguration. This is my beloved son in whom is all my delight. He knew he was delighted in. He knew he was delighted in. And then he said, give me this mountain. He said he strode out ahead of them to Jerusalem. Give me Mount Calvary. 
Give me, I'm after this mountain. It's going to cost me everything. Give me this mountain. Jesus, the personification of all these things. You say, well, I've got so many fears. Don't live with them anymore. I've got this uncleanness problem. You can take it out. You can win. My self-worth, I feel like I'm a, I'm just a, I'm a locust. I'm nothing. I can't cope. If I start, I knew when I was converted, I thought, will I be able to keep it up? If I become a Christian, can I live like that? These are mountains we've got to take. We can take them. Beloved, is God speaking to you? Can we stand, please? We're just going to close this. I'd love to invite you, if you feel God's spoken to you, to respond. Say, Lord, I I want my faith to grow. I want to learn. I want to learn. Love people who would love to just, okay, let's pray together. Let's, let's make a stand today. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us not just to be hearers of the word. Help us to be good soil that we hear it and receive it into our hearts.